Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. I don't really know how you're going to do a Christmas series called Priceless Gifts and not talk about the wise men who came to Jesus bearing. Yeah. Now, the thing that might kind of throw you off is that when you think of the three wise men, right, you probably think of three wise men. And you think of three men, you think of long flowing robes, you think of, you know, some kind of crown on their head because they're wise men, they're kings, and they each have a gift. If you've been to any Christmas Cantata. Is that what they call those things? Wow, I've been away for so long. Whatever, pageant, play, drama, whatever. I mean, that's what you see, right? And there's, and there's three. Well, this may mess you up just a tad. We don't know if there was three. In fact, scholars believe that there might have actually been dozens. There could have been dozens, which really blows my mind. It takes me to a whole other place of understanding the power of the birth of Jesus. Wow. So it could have been dozens, not just three. Now, tradition says three because there were three gifts. And not saying that that's wrong. Just saying there's a, there's a really good possibility that there were a lot more than that. And to make it worse, here's what we definitely know for sure. They would not have been part of the manger scene. How was that to kind of shock you into... Christmas depression. I, mean, I don't know what that might do. Most scholars believe that by the time that, uh, that the wise men actually saw Jesus, that he's at least 18 months old, if not two years old. You got that picture in your head? So there are wise men, at least three that we know of, maybe dozens of wise men, maybe dozens of kings that are literally bearing gifts, bringing gifts, bowing down to worship a two-year-old. Are y'all out there? How many of you, probably not a lot in this service, but how many of you have a two-year-old? How many of you have had a two-year-old? Okay, just say you haven't had a two-year-old. Maybe, you know, they're not grown. But let's say, how many of you have ever been to a restaurant and you were seated near someone with a two-year-old? And maybe it was a really nice restaurant. And maybe you were out for a date night. And you felt like this is going to be really good. We're going to connect. It's going to be sweet. It's going to be quiet. It's going to be intimate. And then there's that family with that two-year-old. And it's real easy to be critical of two-year-olds until you have a two-year-old. And when you have a two-year-old, suddenly you're not quite as critical as you were, right? Because you know how demanding that two-year-olds can be. Karen and I learned early that you do not negotiate with terrorists. (laughs) And so when you have an out-of-control two-year-old, I mean, your first question really is, what are your demands? You want my iPhone 15? Pro Max, you want to throw it? Go ahead. I mean, if you'll just be quiet in the name of Jesus. You know, you want candy? 
I'm gonna buy, we'll buy you bags of candy. We'll fill up the trunk with candy. You need a pony? You want a pony? How about a Harley? We'll buy you anything you want. What are your demands? What is the ransom? Just please, in the name of Jesus, be quiet, right? So when you think about that, when you have that picture in your head, because this, this is what bugs me sometimes when we just go through, even those of us that are followers of Jesus that have been doing this for so long that we just go through the season just like we did last season. And you've heard the story of the wise men. You've heard the story of Mary and Joseph, and you've heard the shepherds, and we just go through. We just kind of muddle through. We don't really pay attention, and we miss the power that's in the stories. So this morning, I just want us to look at the text. I want us to look at the three gifts, and I want us to draw some conclusions. Let's jump into Matthew chapter 2. We'll start with verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. I'm coming to the house. I'm coming to the house. I told you this is sometime later. This is not at the nativity scene. This is not at the birth of Jesus. This is sometime later. They saw this child, and that word child is another one of those words that points to the fact that it wasn't an infant, just so you know. With his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Again, picture that. And when I went through this this week, literally as I looked at that, I thought, I wonder if Mary and Joseph had to say, Jesus, Jesus, get, up, get over here. I wonder if they had to chase him through the house. I wonder, if, I wonder if they did. I wonder if they said, now, Jesus, you stand still. These nice men are here to worship you. Put that down. Put, put that whatever, you know. I just wonder. I know, I know, I know. But, yeah, how, what was this like? What was it like? And then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts. Wow, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, let's just be honest. Those are some weird gifts for our time, right? They are. They're just a little bit different. Uh, but they're, they're unusual gifts, but they were very valuable gifts back in the day. And, and these gifts were not only valuable, but they were also incredibly practical. They, they were practical gifts, but they also were deeply spiritual. In fact, Bible scholars agree that these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh foreshadow some of the images that Jesus would represent. And so the first gift listed is gold. That's, that's awesome, isn't it? How many of you have gold on your list, your Christmas list for this year? Awesome. Did you get her? Have you got her some gold? Is it a bar? Are you looking for a bar? I mean, you don't just want a little trinket. I mean, you want a bar of gold, right? And so probably most people don't have that on the list because it's so incredibly expensive, right? Gold ain't cheap. And in fact, throughout history, gold, because of its uh, scarcity and value, has been known as the gift that is fit for a king. And these Jews were looking for a king. Don't make any mistake about it. He was of the lineage of David. David was a king. He was an awesome king. David was a warrior. And so their image in their mind, when, when they had the thought in their head of one day God is going to send our Messiah, 
He's going to be the savior of the world, not just the savior of the world, but he in particular, if you were a Jew, you're thinking, you know what, we're first up to to the plate. I mean, we're first that's going to receive this blessing of salvation. He's going to be our savior, and he's going to be our king. And when they had that image of Jesus being a king, they were probably thinking that this king would be born in a palace. He would be born in a very luxurious palace. He would be born in a place of comfort. He would be surrounded by great wealth. But God had a very unusual way and a very unexpected way to show this king to the world. Nobody expected for a king, not just a king, but for the king of kings, for the Lord of lords to be born in a cave beside farm animals. Nobody expected that. They didn't expect their savior, their Messiah, to be the son of a carpenter born in Nazareth. In fact, It was Nathaniel, one of his disciples, who said this. He said, can anything, really, can anything good, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, absolutely not. Can you, you got this picture in your head? I mean, there are wise men that are surrounded, surrounding this two-year-old, if that's possible, to surround. And maybe they had to have dozens to keep him kind of, you know, hemmed in and pinned in. I don't know. I mean, he's the creator of the world. I can't imagine what's going through his head. I I just don't picture a two-year-old, you know, that's sitting on, Anything. <laughs> I just can't picture that in my head. And, and then to picture that their king would come out of Nazareth? You've got to be kidding me. No one expected the king of kings, the son of God, to befriend prostitutes. They didn't expect that. And nobody expected their king to be on the street to be down in the street. Nobody expected their king. Kings, kings are people that, that live in seclusion. They are people that live in a palace, that, that they have guards that surround them. Nobody expected a king that would touch lepers. No, nobody expected a king that literally would befriend tax collectors. I love Luke 15, verse 1. And I forget which translation it says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Jesus, that's who Jesus hung out with. And everybody was really blown away by that. They would think, how in the world? The king of kings, the Lord of lords, are you kidding me? That he would would stoop to someone as low as us? People didn't expect that from a king. But that's exactly what he did. And there are these three wise men. These three kings were maybe many, many more bowing down at the feet of a toddler offering gold, a gift fit for a king. And they didn't just bring gold, but they also brought frankincense. How many of you have frankincense on your, on your Christmas list this year? Probably, yeah, probably not. Before I tell you the spiritual significance of frankincense, let me just tell you a little bit about that particular uh, essential oil. And so my essential oil advisor, which is my daughter Emily, who consulted with her essential oil advisor, 
Frankincense and myrrh, and I thought I'd put this on the screen for you, both proven antiseptic and inflammatory properties. And were once considered effective remedies for everything from toothaches to leprosy. In other words, it's, it's kind of the, you know, th these are kind of the Swiss Army knives of essential oils. I mean, they do, they do everything. It's got lots of purposes. And on the spiritual side, this is so awesome. On the spiritual side, frankincense was the oil that the priest would use during the sacrifices. And so they, they, would, they would burn the incense to make the smoke that would rise up to the heavens, and it would be symbolic. When the people would see that smoke, they would think, oh, man, there's a priest who's offering up a prayer on my behalf. He's praying for me. He's praying over me. He's interceding for me to the Father. And so here, here, here are these wise men, these kings, that are bowing down to a two-year-old, two and what they're looking at is one day, one day, little fella, you're going to be our great high priest, and one day, young man, you will go before God on the behalf of all people, of all kinds, of all nations, of all nationalities. It does not matter. Skin color, it doesn't matter. Wealth, it doesn't matter. The degree of sin that you think that you have participated in and are participating in, it does not matter. He is our great high priest. Come on. y'all. Somebody should have got a little happy on that. He is our great high priest. Wow. Who would ultimately... Give us life for the atonement. Pay the, pay the full payment for our sin. And then we have the gift of myrrh. So myrrh is a very valuable, uh, it's a gum-like substance that's used 17, y'all just, just check this out. Go home and get your Bibles out. And 17 different times in the Bible. And occasionally it would be used as an antiseptic. And if you remember when Jesus was on the cross, they took wine and they took, and they mixed in Myrrh, and they did that to numb the pain. And I don't know if you remember or not, but what Jesus did was he refused to drink it. Now, Baptists believe because it was mixed with wine. That's not even in my notes. That must have been the devil that made me say that. I don't, I don't know. And so Jesus did not want to numb the pain. I can't, I, wait a minute. Did you hear what I just said? There is a man died on a cross, hanging on three nails. He was beaten almost to death. In fact, historians say that most people did not live through the scourging. So they take him, what must have been, what must have at least looked like half dead, throw him on a cross, naked, and nail three nails into his body, and there he is hanging on a cross. And the people that love him say, listen, we should, we should do something to help you. And he says, no, I want to feel the full brunt of the sins of the people that I'm dying for. Wow. So maybe it's not a big deal to you, but it's a big deal to me to know that when I have, I have a Savior that understands the sting and the guilt and the shame and the nastiness of my sin. And when he could have at least numbed the pain, he said, no. Nah. More commonly, a myrrh was known to be an ingredient used to embalm the dead. When you think of it that way, it seems like a really weird gift for a baby, doesn't it? In other words, myrrh would have been used to help prepare Jesus' body for burial. So myrrh, scholars agree, represent Jesus as a suffering servant or the Lamb of God that would be led away to be slaughtered. A Savior 
that was born to die the most hideous death that we could imagine. And why did he do it? For the forgiveness of sin. In fact, Isaiah 53 represents Jesus, the suffering servant who was born to suffer on our behalf for the forgiveness of all of our sins. In fact, verse 3 says it like this. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering familiar with pain. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. That, that word transgressions, it literally, because there are different words for sin. And so you might, you, you might take a Bible and read several different translations, and it'll all say, <clears throat> maybe, maybe it'll just say sin. But it's, when you see that word transgressions, it in particular is, is referring to our rebellion. Now, that's a big deal for me. Maybe it's not a big deal for you, but, and I know you people really love Jesus, but there are times when I just rebel. Anybody else in the room? I mean, I love God, but there's times when I know what his word says, and I go, uh-uh, not today. Appreciate you. There's times when I still have a rebellious streak in me, when there's something I want to do. There's things I'm praying through right now, and I don't want to enter into this particular situation with the heart of rebellion. I don't want it to be about me. Okay, I'm, that's not my notes either. Y'all think, get back to your notes, get back to your notes. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Man, that, can I just tell you just a little bit? That refers to the guilt that we carry. The shame that we carry. Anybody still struggle with sin? And, and guilt, we should feel guilt when we're convicted. Well, what about shame? What about shame when you, when you can't quite understand the full brunt of what Jesus did for us on the cross and sometimes that you still carry the shame of, of, your, of your sin without realizing that he, why don't you understand? He was crushed for our iniquities. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and the sheep before its shears is silent. So he didn't even open his mouth. And that he endured so much more than we're going to talk about this morning. And so why do we need to be forgiven? Because according to Isaiah 53, verse 6, that I jumped over, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way. And when Isaiah says that, that we're like sheep, when he compares us to sheep, just so you know, that's not a compliment. Now, if he had said, all we like lions, y'all feeling it? All of us like bears. I don't even know how to do a bear thing. I don't know. All we, all we like eagles. That's awesome. All we like golden doodles. I was going to show you a picture of ours because she's awesome, isn't she, baby? She's a watchdog until you walk through the door. <laughs> and then she'll just jump on you and lick you. But to be like sheep, to be compared to sheep, he was basically saying, you know what? You're not the sharpest tool in the shed. You're not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I mean, you're just not. In fact, the sheep were basically known for three things. They were weak, witless, witless, and wayward. Weak, witless, and wayward. Does that describe you sometimes? It does me, if I'm just gut level honest. <clears throat> so Isaiah said, all of us like, like sheep have strayed. And we've, we've wandered. We'll just wander. And, and we know that, that the green pasture is over here, but we'll wander over here, knowing that the green pasture is over there. We'll just it's kind of witless, you know, and so we'll wander. We'll wander to other things that we think will bring satisfaction that will not. 
And then he leads us beside quiet waters. He has to lead us beside quiet waters because if we're just left to our own, we will wander. We'll wander in the desert where there is no water. And so God laid on Jesus the sins of all of us. And again, according to Isaiah, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Come on. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. And here's what's amazing. <laughs> again, I know, I know, this is like, you know, the Sunday before the big day, you know. Next, next Sunday is Christmas Eve. It's going to be awesome. This was prophesied by Isaiah 700 years before the event. Hello, y'all out there? So, you know, like football has only been around a couple hundred years. I don't know. Let's just go with that. Y'all just smile and go, bless his heart. You know, anyway, so what, what if 700 years ago some man, some, some prophet would have stood and said, there's going to be a thing called football. It's going to be called football. I know you don't understand it now, but it's going to be called football. And just so you know, in 2024, in 2024, there'll be two teams Two, two teams that are at the top of the heap, they'll, they'll go to this thing called the Super Bowl, and here's the team that's going to win, and he, here's the point spread. Here's the exact score. We would be blown away, right? And so pretty much whatever that guy says, you're going to believe, right? You're going to think, I do. Can you give me some stock tip? Can you give me something, Right? So here's what blows my mind. When we look at this, sometimes through the eyes of maybe religion, maybe it's just because we hear it so often that we forget this was powerful 700 years before it happened. Isaiah was on the scene saying, here's what's coming. Here's what's coming. Jesus understood, understood this. Let me tell you what, he prophesied it of himself in, in Luke 9. Verse 22, he said this. He said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And, it, and, it, and it, this, this next sentence, he says he must be killed. Ooh. Not, not that it would you know, be a good idea. Maybe, maybe if he was killed, it says that he must be. He has to be. In other words, here's the, see, the wise men knew they, they brought him these gifts. They brought him myrrh, a savior that was born to die. He knew that ultimately his purpose was to go to the cross. That, that was why he came, was to go to the cross. And on the third day, to be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple. Now, no, hang on. I know it's Christmas and we want to feel good. But whoever wants to be my disciple, you know what he's got to do? You've got to deny yourself. You've got to deny yourself and you've got to take up your cross. Now, a cross in our day is, is, is just a little, it's a piece of jewelry that people hang around their neck. To, Christians often do. Just symbolic. I want, the, I want people to know that I, you know, I, I serve God. And so they'll wear this cross around their neck. People this day, you know, it wasn't a piece of jewelry. It was an instrument of death. And not just death, but the worst kind of death imaginable. And what Jesus said, what Jesus said was, if you're going to come after me, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to follow me, if you want to be a follower of mine, then you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to take up your cross 
and follow me. Let me tell you what he didn't say. He didn't say, you know what, you just, just pray a prayer and then you're going to be blessed. If you'll just pray this prayer, I'll tell you what, life's going to be so easy, easy peasy from here on out. Like financially, you're going to be off the chain, like you're struggling now, but once you give your life to Jesus, no, it's all going to be, it's all going to be good. It's all going to be good. Listen, don't worry, you'll never be sick. You'll never, ever be sick again. Like, I don't know how you'll die. Maybe you'll just walk with God. But guess what? I mean, you, you're going to have this immortal body. That's not what he said. He didn't say that. He didn't say, pray this little sal- prayer of salvation. Get your fire insurance so you don't have to worry about going to hell. And then just live your life your way. Do whatever you want. And listen, there's nobody here that believes in the power of forgiveness more than I do in what Jesus satisfied on the cross. He paid the punishment for all my sins, all my past, all my present, and all my future. But listen, listen, what that, what that requires of me is full devotion to him. That's what it requires. I can't just simply say, okay, now, God, this is over. You've done what you needed to do. I'm going to live my life my way for the rest of my life. It's not, it's not what it means. Am I getting a little hard? I need, to get, I need to be easier on that 11 o'clock crowd, don't I? It's not a hobby. It's not an add-on. It's not something that this time of year just makes us feel really good when we celebrate Santa and we go to Grandma's house for ham and whatever else we have at Grandma's house, which is awesome. It's God being, becoming flesh, born of a virgin, not inheriting the sin nature of an earthly father, but inheriting the divine nature of his heavenly father. And when you understand that, this, this is my point. So when you understand that, it, it overwhelms you, takes your breath. Wow. You came into this world already looking toward the cross. Your life would be cut short, 33. And, and if I had been God, I'd have said, let's, let's like, I know, let's, I tell you what, I'm going to send my son, I'm going to go maybe 2024. A lot of easier ways to die, you know. They'll get that injection thing. They'll get that worked out maybe by then. And so there's, like, there's not a chance anything's going to be messed up. I'll wait until then. That's not what he did. He sent his son at one of the worst times in history to die the most hideous death. And when you get that, when you understand that, then full devotion to him, honestly, it's not something that you do because you're scared. If you don't, God's going to zap you. you, know, you am I making any sense at all? But you want, you, you just want to give him your life. And you're in awe of him every day. And you're, and you're grateful every day for the little things in life that he blesses you with. And, and I'm crazy. I walked out yesterday and, and I was looking up at the sky because I knew today it was going to rain. And so I walked out and I looked up and I went, wow. And I don't see as good in my old age, okay? Let's just be honest. And I looked up and I said, well, there's that one star. I'm pretty sure there's a bunch more up there. And I kind of grinned, and I, th- I thought, but you know what, God, you gave me the ability to see this one star. It's a beautiful morning. It's brisk. God, thank you. This is a gift. 
One day this week when I'm out with Maggie, I guess God speaks to me with Maggie. Y'all should come walk Maggie sometimes. It's awesome. And so I was with her one day this week, and I was standing. It was a magnolia tree here, and, and then I could see the green of that magnolia tree compared to the blue sky, and I went, whoa, God, you are so awesome. Thank you that you allow me to see this. Am I making any sense? And that's where, that's where the devotion comes, not out of fear. Please don't misunderstand me. It's not out of fear that God's going to get you if you don't. It's, that's not it. <laughs> it's out of being blown away by his love. That's all. He endured this for you and for me. Let me tell you what he took to the cross. He took our lustfulness to the cross, our hypocrisy, our judgmental spirit, our greed, our anger, our unforgiveness, you, our addiction, whatever you want, whatever your thing is. That's what he took to the cross. And when they, when they say, here you go, let's give you some, some wine mixed and mingled with, with myrrh. Let, let's kind of, so we'll kind of numb the pain. And he said, no. No. I want to feel the full brunt of sin. So God sent wise men to give him gold, prophetically declaring that he would be the king of kings. Frankincense that would symbolize that he is our great high priest. And myrrh, hmm, that this child is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is a savior that was born to die to pay the price on the cross and then to be raised on the third day. It's good news beyond measure that our God would do something like that for us. That he would watch, be crushed for our rebellion. Beaten so we could be whole. And it would be by his stripes that we could be healed. Every year the struggles I've shared with Jonathan is, is, is during this time, is how do, how do I talk about something that you, you're going to hear every year, right? I mean, we've only got so much stuff to preach on during Christmas. I mean, we got the wise men, we got the shepherds. Y'all with me? Y'all probably not. See, and I'm going to tell you what, Jonathan, we better talk about baby Jesus next week. Or y'all going to be mad. People say, I, don't, I come to church, I want to hear about Jesus. And you should, right? But what I try to do is I say, Lord, can you please show me something that I've never seen before, I've never thought of before. And this year, this, this week, as I was just spending some time, and I was just sitting with it. He said, well, there's another gift that's not actually written in the Word, but it's there if you look. And, and this, this fourth gift that these maybe dozens of kings, wise men brought, was the gift of their humility. Could you imagine our president kneeling before a two-year-old child? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine that our president would kneel, that he would bow down, and that he would offer these gifts humbly? And I'm not picking on our president. I'm just saying, could you imagine any president anywhere doing such a thing? In fact, if you look at the story again, King Herod, he was threatened by this two-year-old which is, again, whoa, what? He was threatened by this two-year-old, and so he has every child under the age of two put to death, trying to make sure that he, that he stamps out, that he kills the potential threat to his kingdom. 
And then here you have, you have these, these kings that traveled a great distance, bearing gifts to worship a two-year-old Savior. And to accept Christ as your Savior will require the same humility. That's it. To recognize that you're broken. Maybe there's a weight, there's a shame, there's a guilt for what you've done. And you feel it. It's, it's, it's weighing you down. Let me just give you the best news that I could ever imagine, that you could ever imagine, is that God is absolutely crazy about you. So God sent his son. You know why he sent him? He sent him. He sent him because we're sinners. Okay, but so why would God go through all of that trouble? Why would Jesus allow them to beat him almost to death and hang him on the cross? So we could be forgiven, so our sin debt would be paid for. Absolutely. But listen, here's the reason. The reason is so that we could be in relationship with him. Is that not crazy? That we are sinners, that we are transgressors, that we have this iniquity, this guilt, this shame that we have to deal with, that we openly rebel against him, that we're wayward, we're witless, and we're weak. And he says, I know. But I, I, want, I want to be in a relationship with you. A relationship. Somebody was watching online. Um, I, I can't remember now. Last week, week four last, I don't remember when it was, but they were watching online. And, and I'm getting to meet with them this week. And, and I, I, don't, I don't even know where they live, to be honest with you. But and I should have, I was really disrespectful. You know, I, I tried to call and we didn't connect. And so, but he's going he's gonna to come here this week. And here's what he said. I want to understand this relationship thing that you talk about. It's not about religion. Religion put Jesus on the cross. You know that. It's about a relationship. And that's what, that's what God wants with you. That's why the price was paid. He said, I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to talk with you. I want you to walk with me early in the morning. going to paint the sky for you with beautiful stars and then and then and there'll be days when I'll I'll clear the clouds away and I'm going to do that just for you as we walk together and I'm going to talk to you and I'm going to teach you things and, and there'll be days maybe when the sunrise and it's awful cloudy and you'll think oh it's going to be a terrible sunrise and then suddenly you see the brilliant colors of of pink and purple and, you say, and God says ah, get up early in the morning because I'm going to do it again I'm going to do it again in the morning and you know what I'm going to do it again the next morning I want you to walk with me just walk with me walk with me be with me here this morning you're not a follower of Jesus How? why in the world would you not want to be a follower of Jesus I think I have the easiest job in the world, don't you? Because who can say no? So if you're not a follower of Jesus, would you like to be? Every head is bowed, every eye is closed, no one's looking around. And I, I, don't, I don't know how you might say it in the beginning. It's just to say, wow. Maybe you just say, God, wow. Your love is, is, is more than I can comprehend. Maybe you just tell him that. Wow, God.
your mercy and your grace. Maybe, maybe you're telling me, I just can't believe all that you've been through, all that you allowed to happen. Just to be in a relationship with me. And then, well, and telling me, I know you're alive, I know you're well, I feel your presence. And then thank him, just thank him. You have to thank him for all that he's done. For the provision that was made. And now you just want to tell him, I want to fully surrender my life to you. And I think you can tell him, I'm still going to be a sheep. I'm still going to be weak. I'm going to give in to temptation sometimes. I'm still going to be kind of witless. I'm going to have days when I'm brain dead. But, and God, I know, I know I'm going to be wayward, but the price was paid. And the, the desire of my heart is to follow you. And then just, I want to fully surrender my life to you. I want to live for you. I want to walk with you for the rest of my life. Wow, Lord, you are so awesome. Lord, I just want to tell you that I love you. I love you so much. And the truth is, Lord, the only reason I love you is because you first loved me. I don't even have that in me. And the gratitude and the thanksgiving, that is an overflow of me just watching you love me so well for so long. You are amazing. And I know, Lord, I know that this is not the 25th yet, but I just want to say happy birthday. And we sure do love you. It's in your sweet name that we pray.